Hello, and welcome to The Rebind, a podcast about putting all the pages of the Bible back together. We're back in our first of the month interview, and today is very exciting because we've got a special guest, Dr. Eric Tolley, with us to talk about the biblical prophets to reacquaint us with the important role that they play in the Christian message. And you won't want to miss this, so check it out. Dr. Tolley is Associate Professor of Old Testament and Semitic Languages and Director of the PhD program at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. Having received a Master's of Divinity there himself and a PhD at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, he's co-authored the leading textbook on Old Testament textual criticism, which is the study of determining the most accurate biblical manuscripts. He's also written the Handbook on the Hebrew Text of Hosea, published by Baylor, and is currently working on some exciting projects like an introduction to the latter prophets in Baker's Reading the Bible as Christian Scripture series, and an upcoming commentary on the book of Ezekiel. Dr. Tully was actually my own supervisor, in fact, as I was studying the book of Ezekiel at Trinity And he and his family have been tremendous hosts and friends to me and Stephanie as we've gotten to know them. So, Dr. Tolley, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me on your your podcast. Well, I've been really excited about this, uh, knowing the things that I've learned from you about the prophets and some neglected parts of the Bible. And I just think this is a great way to paint a picture for listeners here of the contribution that those prophets make to the Bible's overall message. But before I get too gun ho here, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your background? How did you get started in biblical studies and why the prophets? Yeah, I, um, I actually grew up uh, as a missionary kid in Central Africa. My dad was a, a missionary pilot, you know, mm-hmm. the, a bush pilot in this little Cessnas that goes out to remote mission stations and uh, takes missionaries where they need to go and delivers the mail and so that was a really adventurous, um, yeah. adventurous childhood, and also a childhood in which uh, I really got to see the front lines of Christian ministry and people who were really serious about their faith. And uh, so I think as I got older, um, uh, that was always on my radar, you know, uh, uh, doing something full time that would involve ministry. My grandfather, uh, who I didn't actually know very well was a professor of Hebrew and Old Testament. And so that was kind of on my radar. And uh, and then I would say a third uh, influence was that when we came back from the mission field, life was really tough. It was really hard to adjust back to the, to the States. I was in junior high and high school, and those were some pretty hard years. And so um, I really... Um, I, at, the, at that time I read the prophets and, uh, and I got to see, you know, these glimpses of God's heart and, and of the prophets sort of struggling through issues in their faith and things like that. Hmm. And, um, and that, that was of interest to me. So I went, when I went to college at Moody Bible Institute, I decided that I would, uh, study, uh, Bible theology for my major and that I would uh, sort of minor in Hebrew, that I would take my electives in Hebrew and Old Testament. And um, after I was done with college, I 
didn't wasn't sure what to do. I, I still felt the Lord perhaps leading me toward teaching, but I hadn't really done that before, and I, I was actually very shy and had never really been in front of people. And so in sort of to test it, I taught uh, at a Christian high school for two years. Hmm. And I taught Bible and Greek, and um, that was a good experience. So uh, as you said, I went to Trinity, and I took more Hebrew and more Old Testament electives. And then um, when I went to my PhD program, uh, I had the opportunity to, to study the prophets, because that was that was a particular focus of our PhD program in the coursework uh, and things like that. Yeah, awesome. So, was it part of your sort of heritage where your grandfather studied Hebrew and Old Testament that kind of inspired you to do that in school as well, or was it more of the experience you had in high school that uh, kind of set you on that track? It was, I would say it was definitely more the latter. I yeah. didn't know my grandfather well. I would say it was just a matter of that, that sort of being on the radar as a possibility. Yeah. But when I was, when I was um, you know, dealing with some of those difficulties in high school and reading the prophets, on the one hand, they were encouraging. But on the other hand, it just felt like this huge hole in my, in my training mm. as, a, as a kid who'd grown up in the church all my life. I mean, all through Sunday school and youth group, we had obviously read the Bible, the Bible stories, Noah and, and, and the ark and mm-hmm. David and Saul and David and Goliath. And, uh, and we'd read the Psalms. And then of course we'd read the new Testament, but then there was this gaping hole there in the canon, right in the middle of the canon mm-hmm. in the old Testament prophets. And I just didn't know anything about them. They yeah. had never, they had never been addressed uh, in the church for me as a child. Uh, I'd hardly ever heard them preached on yeah. except perhaps, you know, Isaiah six, uh, on Missionary Sunday or Isaiah uh, 53 at Easter, Good Friday. So it just felt like this huge hole. And so on the one hand, I was, I was encouraged by the prophets and I, and I, and I was, I, I felt a sense that they were, they were speaking to the situation in my life at that time, but I just had a total lack of understanding about how they worked and what to make of them. And so I thought to myself, I wonder if that's, I wonder if that's the experience of other people as well. Yeah. And as I've as I've uh, continued to uh, to train and then to teach, and I, I've talked to pastors and I've talked to teachers in the church, I found that that's really that's really true. I mean, um, I think a lot of people are intimidated by the prophets; they're not quite sure what to do with them or how to apply mm-hmm. them. And so I'm just excited, you know, to uh, to study them and then to try and be a part of helping helping people understand their value and how they work and what they add to our faith and helping, you know, get them into the church. Yeah, for sure. Maybe tell us a little bit about some of those gaps you were talking about, those holes. As you started studying the prophets more in depth, what were some misconceptions or stereotypes about the prophets that you had to correct or just learn about? Yeah, that's. Uh, I've thought about that a lot over the years because I've I've tried to identify in my own in my own understanding what some of those gaps were as I think about how to teach the prophets to other people. I think one thing I I always I I always had this idea of the prophets as just sort of being this random collection of 
prophetic oracles. That is, you it doesn't matter really where you open up a prophetic book, whether it's Isaiah or Amos, that you might as well you can start anywhere in the book because they're just random, the structure's random. It's kind of like somebody just took all of those ideas and all of those statements about God's judgment and God's salvation and just kind of put them in a blender. <laughs> and and there they are, right, in the book. And um I've 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 really um come to see that that's not the case at all, that the prophetic books have a really uh, important structure. Each book is structured in a way that organizes um, everything into a, a really significant argument that mm-hmm. juxtaposes certain ideas, allows you to read one thing in light of another, develops an argument. Um, a lot of times there's a movement from announcement of Israel's sins to an announcement of God's judgment, and then finally, uh, prediction of God's restoration in the future. And um, I, I would say another misconception that I had was that a prophetic book is just a transcript of the prophet's ministry. You know, sometimes we we read about um, a, a prophet, you know, acting things out, or Maybe maybe the book begins with uh, with God calling a prophet to a specific prophetic ministry in a, to a to a certain people in a, in a city or to a king, and 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 I, I guess I always had the sense that the book is just a transcript of that. But in, but in fact, this go, this goes back to the to the idea of the structure. In fact, um, the book is a is a separate thing. The book is um, it takes takes all of that material from the prophet, whether it's a narrative about the prophet's life, or it's uh, the words that the prophet spoke, and then arranges them in the book uh, in a in a in a um, in a significant way to um, to convey that message. So it, it's, it's important to read the book as a book yeah. and to, and to notice the way that it's arranged and structured because it's not just, um, it's not just a journal. Yeah. It's not just a journal entry, a series of journal entries by the prophet. I mean, things are placed where they're placed in the book on purpose. Yeah. Also, one of the things, um, one of the things that we often hear, I, I think as a kid, I, I, I was always taught or always thought of the prophets as just simply, simply predicting the future. You know, they just looked into the future and they said, you know, Jesus is coming and then there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And it's just simply a prediction, prediction of the future. Then when I got into graduate school, I read a lot of books where uh, they said the opposite. And they're like, you know, no, the prophets aren't primarily predictors of the future they're not foretellers, they're foretellers. They are, they're uh, teaching God's word to their own contemporaries, to the people that they're living with in the Northern kingdom of Israel or the Southern kingdom of Judah. And they're interested in events in their own lifetimes primarily. And I think, um, what I've come to see is that, um, that's a false dichotomy. Mm. Both of those are true. The, it is true that the prophets are speaking to their own contemporaries, but they're doing that by, in many cases, predicting the future. Hmm. And, and they're also, um, in some cases, uh, predicting the future in ways that would be helpful, even more so for later generations, 
um, than for their own uh, people in their own time period. Some, I, I think the prophets ha- are very aware that what God is revealing is important, not just for their own time, but for the future people of God throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's important to, to maintain both of those, to recognize yeah. that, you know, sometimes the prophets talk about their past. Uh, many times the prophets talk about present circumstances. They talk about the future. They they, they just move back and forth with ease because God knows the end from the beginning. And all of that is designed to teach not only their own their own contemporaries, but but God's people in the future as well. Hmm. Uh, and then I would say well, there's one probably one other misconception I can think of, and that is um, I, I grew up I grew up in a in a in a church context that always thought of um, the end times, you know, eschatology hmm. or the end of the world as, as something that was very scary. Uh, you know, we read, we read the book of revelation in a way that, you know, was really terrifying. And we would watch these movies. Like there, there was an old movie called a thief in the night where people would get raptured. And then those who were left behind were wailing. And it, it just, it just seemed scary. And I, and I remember as a kid thinking to myself, boy, I don't think I want Jesus to come back because that, that sounds terrible. But one thing that I've I've really appreciated about the prophets is the way that they have corrected that. That the prophets can, you know, really teach that this is something to look forward to because for the people of God, this is a time of restoration. It's a time of peace. It's a time of finally being in that relationship with God that He's designed us for. And uh, the end times are are not scary for the people of God. They're scary for those people who have rebelled against God. And so I think I think the prophets have sort of corrected that misconception in a way that the New Testament, you know, doesn't. Uh, I mean, it, if you read it carefully, that's that's obvious. But I think the prophets just have a really wonderful way of painting a picture of what it looks like when God comes back for His people and makes all things new. That's really attractive. Yeah. So even with all those things in mind, I think a lot of people, if they do read the Bible in the prophets part of it, it just seems so foreign, like they don't know what to do with it. So what would you say, you know, it, it's almost like they're they're picking up a telephone and they're only hearing one end of the conversation and they don't know how to put the pieces all together. So what would you say is um, background information that readers need to know in order to understand the message of the prophets? Yeah, well, it is true that we're reading, you know, ancient uh, texts, and they're not written in our language originally. They're not speaking um, about events in our time period. They're speaking about events um, that happened a long time ago in a very, very different, very different setting. Very, I I once, um, I once read uh, something. was a magazine article or something that was trying to illustrate how different life was. And, and it said, basically, you know, when, when we think about the most powerful person in our lives, maybe we think about, you know, the governor of our state or the president of our country or something like that. And for an ancient Israelite, the most powerful person they could think of would be like maybe their grandfather who was the head of the mm-hmm. village or something. And for them, you know, high tech might, 
be the ability to make things out of iron. You know, so it's just such a such a different life. Children living at home, learning to bake bread in a stone oven and, um, you know, animals that live in the house in order to keep the people warm because there's no, you know, no heating of any kind. It's just a totally different life. So I, I think that w- one thing to that we need to know in order to understand the prophets is just is just that historical context. We need to know when a prophet is talking about a particular city or a particular people group like the Moabites or like, um, you know, the city of Damascus, we need to have some conception of what, of what they're talking about. Maybe that's geography. Maybe that's previous historical events. Uh, maybe it's, you know, military or economic pressures at the time. We, we need to have a, we need to have a sense of what was going on, what what the events are that they're that they're speaking about. Maybe an example of that would be um, if you think about kind of a small p prophet in our day. Let's say that there's a prophet like, uh, well, let's maybe Martin Luther King Jr. Right, and talking about uh, mm-hmm. racial inequality. Um, in the U.S. in the 1960s, and he's a small p prophet. I mean, when you read his sermons or listen to his sermons, um, imagine not knowing anything about about the history of the U.S. Uh, when it comes to racial inequality, not knowing anything about about the uh, the terrible events of the slave trade or the Civil War or uh, so laws in the South, and and then reading. Um, King's uh, sermons, and then trying to understand what he's talking about. I mean, I suppose you could, I suppose you could make some sense of it. But to really understand uh, what he's talking about, you have to know the background. And because the prophets in the Old Testament are often speaking about contemporary situations, wars, and um, political pressures, and kings who don't want to obey God when uh, when he's asking them to do something. Um, the, the movement of people groups, uh, we have to understand the, uh, the, those historical contexts. Another, another related uh, thing I think we need to understand is just the, the theological context. When the prophets are speaking about God's actions with Israel in the past, um, when the prophets are looking forward to what God's doing in the future, it, those those prophetic speeches span history, but they also span redemptive history, and 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 we need to have an understanding of what God is doing with His people about the covenants, um, about His promises to His people, about who who is, who belongs to Him and who doesn't belong to Him, and how He's relating to his people through the sacrificial system and through the tabernacle and what he's looking forward to in the future. So we almost need not just a, not just a map of ancient Israel to understand geography, although that certainly helps, but we also need a kind of a theological map to know, you know, where, when, when Isaiah is prophesying and kind of what his point of standing is and what he's looking forward to. And then where Malachi is standing and what's happened uh, in their intervening time, and then I would say a third thing that that I think is is really helpful in understanding the prophets 
is, is just the strategies that the prophets use to communicate. This isn't this isn't just boring literature where somebody's you know standing up kind of droning on in a in a boring lecture. The, the prophets are using poetry. They're acting things out. They're you know Jeremiah is putting on a putting on a belt and uh, made out of linen, and he says this is this belt symbolizes you know the glory of God's people. And then he takes that belt and he buries it in some mud until it's totally rotten. And then he puts it back on and he says, but this is what it looks like now because of your sin, you know? So really, really crazy outlandish uh, ways that the prophets are acting things out and using object lessons, preaching, preaching in particular places, which are significant. Um, all, All of those things, just kind of recognizing how, how prophets speak. Uh, I think helps us get over those hurdles of just feeling like it's really odd. We don't really know what's going on there. And so the better we understand those kinds of things, the more I think we'll be able to understand what they're really getting at and what we need to understand. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, Martin Luther King Jr. being a little P prophet. Could you explain a little bit what you mean by that? Should Christians think of themselves as prophets? And what's, you know, the difference between a capital and lower or the Old Testament prophets and how we function today as followers of Christ? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a really good question. And it's, it's a question. um, The answer to that question is not something that all Christians agree on. My own view is that Old Testament prophets had a distinct role, and, um, and, and they had two tasks. One task that they had was to receive new revelation, new truth from God, and then their second task was to preach that uh, mm-hmm. to, to people, to bring that truth to bear on specific situations. Sometimes when you read the Old Testament prophets, they're actually preaching truth that had previously been revealed. Sometimes you'll, mm. you'll read the prophets um, actually preaching the law that had been given to Moses, um, reminding uh, Israel of what God had done in the past. And then sometimes they're preaching brand new truth. They're saying, thus saith the Lord, and, and here's what God has to say about this uh, these specific events and how how the people of Israel have responded to those. So, so I think Old Testament prophets do both of those. They receive new truth and then they preach the truth. And in my view, now that we have uh, the full text of Scripture, a closed canon uh, where Scripture is complete from Genesis to Revelation, that first part of the prophetic ministry is not something um, that we do now. Uh, we're not receiving new truth. We have, we've been given uh, everything we need for life and godliness. And, um, but what we are still doing is the second part of that prophetic role, and that is bringing God's truth to bear in particular situations. Sometimes that, that you know, small p prophetic role means a kind of accusation, you know, like, like Martin Luther King Jr. or like uh, like a preacher who maybe speaks out against um, the evils of abortion or something like that. It's, it has to do with social issues and an accusation of, of sin. And I think sometimes that's what we call, that's what we think of when we think of someone being prophetic. We usually think of someone who's maybe 
accusing uh, or, or, or drawing attention to particular evils or something like that. Mm. But I would say any time that we implement God's truth in a positive or negative way, Anytime we encourage people with God's truth, or uh, or or we we t- we take the truth of Scripture and we implement it, then we're acting prophetically. And it's not the same as teaching. I think uh, when the New Testament talks about the gift of prophecy, it, there's another gift for teaching. So it's not exactly the same as teaching. I think it has it has to do with context. It has to do with teaching and in those particular instances in which something, something needs to be said, whether in mm. a, in an encouraging way or in a way that draws attention to something that needs to be changed. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, something else I wanted to ask about reading the prophets and kind of understanding the foreign message. I think another angle on that, that makes it hard for people to understand is just knowing what to do with it in their own lives. How do I apply this very foreign message to what it looks like today? What advice would you have on that for people who want to learn from the prophets, but don't really know what to do with them? Yeah. Well, I I think that, um, I think um, there's a couple of practical things that people can do in order to um, understand the prophets in in the in the context of the whole Bible, one thing they can do is they can read the historical books carefully: Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. The the history of Israel is is giving them the background that they need to uh, to understand the prophets, not just in terms of of those specific events of history that may be foreign, but also just in, in, in the sense of, of understanding what it is that God has to say and what kinds of situations that God needs to speak into. So I think they can do that. Another thing they can do is, um, is look very carefully at how the new Testament quotes from the prophets. Um, sometimes, sometimes the new Testament uh, authors quote from the prophets as a prediction Sometimes they use the prophets for illustration. Sometimes they simply allude to something that the prophets had to say. So they, they do it in different ways. And, and it's important not to just always assume that the New Testament authors are quoting the prophets in exactly the same way. But that's, I think that's some important, that's a sort of important foundation for interpreting and, and seeing the relevance of the prophets and but then when we think about what it is that the prophets actually have to teach us, well, I mean, they teach us most importantly about who God is. We're getting to know God. We're getting to know his values, what's important to him, the kinds of things that he loves, the kinds of things that he hates. We're learning how he acts uh, and how he responds in certain situations. We're, we're learning that he acts. Now, that's important. I mean, sometimes it's easy to think that God is, you know, to be like functional deists, where we just think, well, God's there, but he doesn't really, mm. he doesn't really do that much. And the prophets are a reminder that he's like actively involved in human history and in the lives of his people. It's important to see, I think, in the, in the prophets, um, patterns, uh, 
we, we, we can read the prophets um, accusing Israel of worshiping idols. And at first we might think to ourselves, well, that's not a problem for me. We kind of give ourselves a pass because we don't worship idols of silver and gold. But we do have idols. We, we, um, we look to other things than God for what we want and need. We, we look to science. We look to technology to solve our problems. We look to politics to solve our problems. You know, we think if only, if only that particular political leader will get into office, then everything will be better. Or if only that political leader will not be in office anymore and things will get better. Or we think about the money in our savings account or in our 401k and we breathe a sigh of relief that no matter what happens, we're going to be set. So we still have idols. It's just not the, the, the kind of the, the same ones, but um, God, we can read in the prophets about God's judgment of Israel and the nations. And it's, it's often a terrible judgment that involves suffering and humiliation and loss of life. And, and we ask ourselves, boy, is that, is that what God does to, you know, unrepentant sinners? And the answer is yes, that is what he does. Um, and so that can, that can kind of give us a course correction in our theology, I think it's easy sometimes for in evangelical churches to just kind of read the same parts of the New Testament over and over again, um, just about the grace that we have in Christ. And then when we read the prophets, there's there's a kind of cognitive dissonance where we're like, "Wow, that doesn't that doesn't sound like the God I know." Well, <laughs> that's why we need the prophets uh, in order to make sure that the God we know is the real one. Mm. And, uh, and that that's really him and that we're understanding uh, him. And, and then when the prophets talk about restoration, as I mentioned before, and, and God restoring his people to himself in relationship uh, with himself, they, they just paint this picture of just a life of flourishing and security and joy, free from enemies, with evil destroyed, and living with God forever. So, so all of these patterns that are created in the prophets, whether it's accusations about particular sins or seeing God act in judgment or learning about God's restoration, all of these things, you know, can be, can be extremely helpful for us in thinking about our own relation, relationship with the Lord and understanding who he is and what's important to him. Um, and I guess I would say one final thing. I mean, there's, there are many, but I'll, I'll give three here. Uh, the third thing would be just just understanding the the broad sweep of God's redemptive program in history. I mean, the, that's what the prophets are often really focused on, and um, understanding the full picture of what God has accomplished in Christ. It's not just something He made up, you know, kind of right at the end because He couldn't think of anything else to do. But this is something He'd been planning uh, throughout history, and. Um, so uh, prophets create a very, very important yeah. foundation for uh, how we understand our New Testament and what God is doing in Christ. Hmm. That's great. Maybe one more angle on that would be, what do we do with the prophecies that seem like they're only relevant to Israel? You know, prophecies about the land of Israel, prophecies about kings and mm-hmm. and foreign gods. You kind of touched on the idols part of that. But what about Israel-specific stuff? Yeah, well, I think I think that when uh, an Israelite king is faced with 
some kind of danger uh, because an Assyrian king is coming to destroy the city. And then the prophet says to that king, hey, you've got a choice here. You can either you can either trust in the Lord, which is what he requires of you, or you can try and figure this out for yourself. Um, and then we get to see how the king responds, and then we get to see how God responds to that king. I mean, we're we it's it's an opportunity to move beyond the particulars of that historical situation and 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 to and to learn again about how how God thinks about these things. Um, I, I guess it's like anything else. When we read the um, the historical um, books of the Old Testament and the, and the stories about ancient Israel, we read about David, we read about Solomon, we read about all these specific events, and it doesn't it doesn't sound very um, uh, relevant. But we're learning we're learning about God, and then the author of those stories has 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 chosen particular events and arranged them and told them in a particular way with an agenda in the, in the best sense to teach us theological truth mm. and, and uh, to, to, to watch God in action. And so we can learn, we learn theological truth by reading about mm. uh, Korah's rebellion in the book of numbers or, um, or about Joshua entering the promised land and, and attacking Jericho. And in the same way, when the prophets are, are dealing with specific historical uh, situations, th- th- that's, the, that's the raw material. That, th- those are just the pieces on the chessboard. And so yeah. seeing how, how those things come together and how God um, acts in those situations and, 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 ob- and observing what the, what the author of, of, of these prophetic authors are communicating to us, that, that that's all relevant for us. It's just we just have to kind of translate away from the historical particulars and then understand the theological message that's embedded in that. Well, that's all been really helpful. Maybe one way of just kind of tying this all in a bow and wrapping up together. Um, what would you say evangelicals are missing when they neglect the prophets? Or maybe just to put it positively, what difference can the prophets make? if they do influence the way we think and live on a daily basis? Yeah, I've thought a lot about that. I mean, I, I've probably already mentioned a few of those things. Um, mm-hmm. One, one uh, maybe to summarize, um, one thing that always strikes me as I read the prophets is just seeing the heart of God. Um, you know, obviously we, 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 we get that in the New Testament, but um, we can see the compassion of Jesus. We can see the compassion of Jesus in the way that he acts toward people that he heals and toward the poor and even toward other people being crucified next to him uh, on other crosses. But, um, but the Old Testament prophets give us this, this unique window into the heart of God. I'm thinking, for example, about uh, the book of Hosea, uh, where God is, because of His holiness, He knows that the people deserve judgment. But then, he, but then He'll say things. Just all of a sudden, He'll say things like, "How can I give you up? How can I turn you over to judgment?" Or, or He'll say, "I'm. I have this internal conflict within me because I'm, I'm not going to make you uh, like a 
total a total desolation. I'm not going to destroy you completely. He, you, you, it's presented as like a like a conflict within him. Like uh, there's an uh, an author from many years ago who wrote a, a book on um, uh, Hosea, and it was called the Heart and Holiness of God. It's kind of this this conflict within God between on the one hand the love that he has for his people, but on, then on the other hand the the demands of his holiness that have to be satisfied. And it's just fascinating to me, you know, the, the prophets uh, are, are sometimes, it's sometimes surprising the way that they present God as a, as a wounded husband whose, whose wife is out committing adultery or as a father who has raised children uh, who don't acknowledge him and just go off and do whatever they want. And, there's no no good motivation for that. So the heart of God, I mean, it's it's just it's amazing to get to know God in some of these pictures and the way that God is presented. Um, I already mentioned that understanding the sweep of God's redemptive program. I think sometimes we uh, in evangelical churches have a really anemic sense of salvation. We think that you know, kind of our our entire theology of redemption can be. Uh, can be restricted to like the four spiritual laws or something. You know, we think of it just in terms of evangelism, like you're a sinner, uh, God sent Christ, and now you're one of his people uh, if you accept him. But there's so much more to it than that. There's so much, there's so much richness and complexity to God's redemptive program and the way that he uses Israel to bring about his Messiah, to bring in the nations, to, to make one new people of God for himself, both uh, both of Jews and Gentiles, um, and, and how that's a fulfillment of what he had intended from the very beginning in creation. So the the, the sweep of God's redemptive program is, is something that is so crucial, and we get that in the prophets. And if we neglect the prophets, we I, I think we just have such an anemic uh, theology about some of those things. Um, maybe one last thing would be just the the concreteness. And the, and the tangible nature of judgment and restoration in the prophets. The fact that in, in the prophets, judgment means burned cities and corpses strewn all over the ground and um, uh, uh, dead children and um, famine and captivity. And we, we look at those things and we recoil. We think, oh my goodness, how, how can God... How can God be so cruel? You know, but it's the it's the concrete nature of those of those judgments in history that make us understand the seriousness of judgment. It's not just you know it's so easy to just sort of um, make that abstract, make God's judgment abstract, and, and say, oh well, you know, someday God will judge the earth. But and, and it makes it sound like it's just a fairy tale or something. And the fact that these things have happened in history, and the prophets have to say both about judgment and about restoration in these really concrete terms um, has a way of waking us up and, uh, and helping us to understand exactly what we're dealing with here, the reality of, of, of life with God or life without Him and uh, all, of, all of the implications of that. Yeah. Great. Well, this has been an incredible benefit for, for me and I know for listeners. On, on the Rebind podcast here, we sort of talked about a general goal of getting more out of the Bible, getting more out of more of it, and then we just sort of dove right into Ezekiel. But this helps kind of put a frame on that picture, get some context, think about the prophets in general, and really um, 
enrich our, our study of that. So thank you so much, Dr. Tolley, uh, for joining us today. And uh, I look forward to talking to you more. Yeah, it's been great to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks.